Well, what is up, Trace? Uh, it's good to see you guys here today. Uh, first, just want to welcome any of you that are joining us for the very first time here at Trace, whether you saw our street signs, maybe you got invited by a friend, or maybe you've been watching us online for a while but decided to join us in person. Whatever the case is, we're so honored to have you as guests this morning. Uh, but also just want to take a moment and say welcome to all of you that are joining us online this morning, whether you're sick at home or maybe you're in another state or you're listening to this on your way to work, whatever the case, we appreciate you tuning in. Uh, my name is Josiah, and I have the opportunity to be the student pastor here at Trace. And as you saw in that video, like, I love my job, okay? <laughs> I think we have a lot of fun in Trace students, but not only that, I think we do a pretty good job of helping students in the next generation who are looking for a place to belong find just that, uh, that we're not perfect and we don't have our lives all together or anything like that. We simply just want to help students take steps in the direction of Jesus. And so that being said this morning, if you are a student, if you have a student, if you know a student and they're not yet involved in Trace students here, I'd love nothing more than to get to meet you out in the lobby and get to uh, help you get more connected to what God is doing through our students here at Trace. Uh, but I'd also love to personally invite you if you're a middle schooler in the room, we meet at 9.30. And so next week, I'd love to invite you to be a part of that. But then if you're a high schooler in the room, uh, tonight at six o'clock, we're actually kicking off our high school spring semester. And so you can come back here. There's gonna be free Qdoba. There's gonna be fire pits, s'mores. It's gonna be a great time. Sorry, adults, you're not invited. But high schoolers would love to see you guys uh, there. But last week, Pastor Aaron, he kicked us off in this brand new series with this really simple title called Jesus. And the title is simple because the vision for this series is simple. That as, as people and oftentimes as churches, we can often find ourselves getting focused on things that aren't as important as we think they are. And we can often get so focused on the urgent that we miss out on what's truly important in our lives. And at the beginning of yet another year, we want to make sure that our eyes, we want to make sure that our priorities, and yes, even our calendars are fixated upon Jesus. And so last week, Pastor Aaron, he kicked this series off by talking about the fact that a faith that isn't developed is a faith that will drift. And he said, you know, if we want our faith to matter to us this next year, then we got to put in the work. We got to develop it, and that's why we handed out those magnets last week. And if you didn't get one of those magnets, I would highly encourage you to grab one on your way out. And all this is is just a visible reminder that you can see every single day that we need to make sure that we're developing the faith that we have, because a faith that isn't developed is a faith that will surely drift. But today I don't want to talk to you about developing your own faith. Today I want to talk to you about developing the faith of the next generation. And if there was one person who really cared about this and who modeled this well, it was the guy this series was named after. Uh, his name was Jesus. That Jesus placed a high priority on investing in the next generation. And we get to see a glimpse of that in Matthew chapter 19. It says this right here. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples, they rebuked them. They tried to send the kids away. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. That in Jesus' day, like children had uh, no value, little to no value in society. That they were not seen as something worth investing in, but they were largely seen as a liability from their parents. 
Actually, the reason today that your kids have as many rights as they do, the reason that their education is almost guaranteed, the reason that in America, some thousands of miles away from where Jesus walked and breathed, the reason that the law almost always leans in the directions, direction of kids is because of Jesus, that he was one of the first people in history to actually instill value in, in the next generation. But not only did he say, you know, they're valuable, but he also said they're worthy of every single investment that we can give them. And so that's what I want to talk to you guys about today is the fact that because Jesus invested in the next generation, then as a church, as people, I think we should as well. And to do that, I want to let you in on a little secret. And there's no reason you guys should know this or anything. Uh, But today is actually a very special day for my wife and I, that today marks three years since we moved to Colorado Springs and started investing in the next generation here at Trace. And over the last several weeks, we've gotten time to kind of reflect on these past three years. And it reminded me of whenever we came here to enter View, that Trace was generous enough, Trace was gracious enough to like fly us down here and put us up in a hotel. And I remember like uh, coming to Colorado Springs for the first time. I remember seeing the mountains for the first time. I remember walking through the doors of Trace for the first time, meeting several people on staff for the first time. I actually remember meeting Pastor Aaron for the first time and thinking two very specific things. The first thing was like, wow, this guy is an incredible leader that like he really knows what he's doing and sure he's intense at, at times, but at least he takes his faith seriously. And if I were to learn from him, I have no doubt in my mind that I would continue to grow as a man, as a husband, as a follower of Jesus. That was the first thing I thought. But then the second thing I thought was, wow, I have a long way to go uh, to get biceps as big as his and still not there yet, still working towards it. But as our time went on during that process, I kept waiting for this moment where someone was going to sit me down and just drill me with questions about the next generation. I, I just kept waiting for this formal interview to happen. But little did I know that that was never going to happen uh, because they'd been interviewing me the whole time. But the closest thing I got was actually when one of the pastors on staff uh, he was like, hey, uh, my, my car broke down and it's you know, gotten some work done on it. Would you mind driving me uh, to the mechanic shop so I can pick up my car? And I was thinking, no, I don't really want to do that, but I really want this job, so I'll go ahead and do that. And so I drove him to Discount Tire, and he went in and got everything squared away, and he came out and he said, hey, they're not quite done yet. You mind if we sit in the lobby and talk? And I said, no, sure, you know, that's fine. I feel like I just got tricked, but um, sat down in discount tire, and he asked me this question. He said, what do you think the church, uh, or the next generation needs most from the church these days? And I thought for a moment, I thought, you know, that's a really good question. And I answered something like this, that I think most kids and students are walking around life these days asking three very important questions. And they're these three questions right here. Who am I? Where do I fit in? and how can I make an impact? Who am I, where do I fit in, and how can I make an impact? And there's an infinite number of answers to those questions that students are trying to latch onto, but I think what's unique about the church is we actually have the right answers. And so if we could like create a place, if we could create a culture where kids and students, they can come and they can wrestle with the doubts they have and they can wrestle with these three questions without feeling judged, without feeling alone, if we could do something like that, And I think we'd be doing a pretty good job. And while I need you to understand, I had that conversation over three years ago. And as certain as I thought I was in that discount tire that day, I can tell you today, I'm even more certain that that is the case. 
That while, yes, the names and faces that we've worked with have changed, while our programming and the timing of which we do things has changed, while the culture around us and what seems like the whole rest of the world has changed, I don't think those three questions of identity, of belonging, and purpose have changed at all. And so today I want to talk to you about that. That all I want to do is I just want to share some of my wife and I's experience over the last three years with you. I want to celebrate uh, some students slash embarrass some students. I want to share some stories with you. But ultimately, I want to challenge the adults in this room. And I want to challenge you to help us continue to create, <clears throat> excuse me, the kind of culture where kids and students can come and wrestle with some of those things without the fear of feeling judged, without the fear uh, of feeling isolated, and so before I go any further, I feel like I need to say this, that uh, the last thing I would want to communicate to you guys today is that we somehow figured this all out. That like we've magically cracked the code on the next generation, on teenagers, uh, because that just isn't true. Like we haven't done that. But I also know that many of you in this room, uh, you're not parents. Many of you, you in this room, you don't have kids of your own, and you may be tempted to start tuning me out because you think, you know, maybe this doesn't apply to you. And if that's you this morning, I would simply just say, like, if, if you're someone who doesn't have kids, I would tell you, like, neither do I. But I also know we have over 175 kids and students here at this church and thousands more in Colorado Springs who are in desperate need of some adults to come around them and help them find some of the answers to the questions that matter the most. And what I'm telling you this morning is whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you have kids or you don't, I'm telling you, you could be one of those people. And so for the rest of our time this morning, I wanna show you how the next generation are asking these three questions of identity, belonging, and purpose. But then I also wanna share with you how we as a church can come around them and hopefully attempt to answer some of them. And so let's go ahead and start with that first question of identity. And it's the question, who am I? Who am I? And the first thing I would tell you about this question is that it's not a new one. That people have been struggling with their identities since the beginning of time. This question, who am I? You know, what am I made of? Do I have what it takes that if you were to strip everything away from my life, all the secrets, all the facades, all the masks that I wear, all the things that people see from the outside, if you were to strip all those away from me, what is it that makes me, me? You see, even King David, uh, who we find in our Old Testament in the left side of your Bibles, even he struggled with his identity. And he had so many different identities to choose from that he was a warrior, he was a king, he was a poet, he was a leader, he's described as a man after God's own heart, yet even he found himself asking that question, who am I, especially in relationship to God? And he writes some of this in Psalm chapter eight. I love how the message paraphrase says it, it says this. As I look up at your macro skies, dark and enormous, your handmade sky, jewelry, moon and stars mounted in their settings. But then he says, then I look at my micro self and I wonder, why do you bother with us? Why do you take a second look our way? That David, he's asking a question of identity. Who am I that the God of the universe would notice me? Who am I that the God of the universe would care about me? And while David asked this question some thousands of years ago, I would tell you that the kids and students my wife and I get to work with, uh, we hear this question even to this day. And the problem is that today, kids and students, the next generation, they're latching on to any answer they can find. And while I would love to tell you they're the most accurate answers, what we've found is actually they're probably just the most accessible ones. 
And there's so many different answers that they give to this question of who am I, but some of the most common ones are like this, that I am what I do, that I, the interests I have, the sports I play, the hobbies I hold, the people I hang out with, that's what makes up who I am. But if it's not I am what I do, then maybe it's I am what I've done or I am what's been done to me, that the mistakes I've made, the, the names people have called me, the, the gut-wrenching, horrific experiences in my life, you know, that's what makes up who I am. And what I would tell you about those answers is that they're wrong and that they're temporary and they can't possibly answer a question so big as who am I? And when they start latching on to wrong answers, it leads to all kinds of mass confusion. That the next generation, they begin questioning, you know, what's important to them. Their priorities get blurred. They don't just keep making mistakes. They start believing they are a mistake, that no one could ever love them. Because no one really knows who they really are, themselves included. And so then one day they wake up and all of those things that they thought made up who they were, they're stripped away from them. And they find, find themselves in this place where they're, they're fumbling through life, just reaching out for anything that can satisfy that question. If even for a moment, that's screaming from their souls, who am I? And listen, my wife and I, we see this every day. That in just a couple of years of working with students and kids, like we've seen way more than we wish we had. That we've watched as young girls get treated like trash from their boyfriends that we've seen uh, kids in and out of detention every single day. We've watched as kids cuss out their parents, but then I've watched as parents turn around and cuss out their kids. And I've seen young men get addicted to every single thing under the sun and more, from weed to drugs to alcohol to harder drugs to acid to pornography to sex, and the list goes on and on and on. And I've listened to the abuse stories I've listened to the I'm gay stories. I've listened to the stories uh, where, where kids say, I can only make an impact if I transition to becoming a man stories. And I've watched as sons try to do every single thing in their life right, hoping just to get another attaboy from their dad. But when they don't hear it, they turn around and they do every single thing wrong, hoping just that maybe they might get their father's attention. And we've listened on the phone as parents weep because they're watching their kids walk out of their lives. Or I sat on the phone one night listening to a parent because someone that was far too young found themselves in a position that was far too scary for them to know what to do with. And we've sat in the facilities after failed suicide attempts, but we've also sat in the funerals of the ones who weren't so lucky. And we've watched after kid after kid and student after student has looked to every horrible corner of this world simply trying to answer the question of who am I? <clears throat> and this morning, while I hope you know, like I'm not trying to get you to feel sorry for my wife and I. I'm not trying to get you uh, to think that I'm bragging this morning. I'm simply trying to tell you that there is a generation that is in desperate need of some other adults to come around them and tell them with absolute certainty, this is who you are. Because someday these kids, these students, they're gonna grow up. And some of them have grown up. And some of them are sitting in this room today that when you hear some of those stories, when you look at the question of who am I, you sit there and you think, yeah, that's me. That I've been stumbling through life, latching on to any answer that'll satisfy me for a little bit. That I've just been waiting for someone to come alongside me and say, look, this is who you are. 
And if that's you this morning and you don't hear anything else I say, that I need you to hear this, that you are not what you do. You are not what you've done. You are not what's been done to you. You are not what other people say about you. Chances are you aren't even what you say about yourself. But listen, your identity can and should only be found in the person and the words of Jesus Christ. And you know what he says about you? He calls you his children. And he says, you're my son. He says, you're my daughter. And that should be enough for you. That Ephesians 2.10, it says this, I love this phrase, for we are God's handiwork. I love that imagery. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do that. Listen, God, he handcrafted you. And he stamped you with his approval and that can be, that's something that can never be taken away from you because of what Jesus did on the cross. That it is only through Jesus It is only through Jesus that we can find a real and effective answer to the question of identity, who am I? But the same goes for the next generation. That as a church, we have to be ready. We have to be willing to equip the next generation with the tools that they need to answer some of these questions correctly. But listen, even if the next generation knows who they are, I would say the most influential question they're asking in their life, the most pervasive question that they're dealing with in their life is actually one of belonging. And it's the question, where do I fit in? Where do I fit in? And if I could be transparent with you guys this morning, I would tell you that this is something I've struggled with my entire life. Uh, that growing up, I moved around quite a bit, and with every move came, you know, another challenge to make new friends. And, you know, part of that is it seemed that everybody already had their friends whenever I would move to a place. But the other part, if I'm being completely honest with you, is that I was just a really weird kid, all right? That at that point in my life, I was rocking a bowl cut, um, hadn't quite like grown into my body yet. And on top of that, I argued with everyone who would listen and everyone who wouldn't. And so like obviously sounded like best friend material right there, right? Uh, But this was a struggle for me. But when I moved to Texas to start high school, uh, the struggle of making friends only got worse for me. And I found myself asking, you know, where do I fit in? And I found myself getting really good at being a chameleon. That I felt like I fit in about everywhere, right? that I would uh, talk about video games with the nerds, and, but then I'd go play chess with the geeks, but I was also like the captain of one of our football teams in, in high school, or I'd hang out with the youth group kids, but I was also best friends with the drug dealers at my school, that I was one of the only white kids when I was with my black friends, and I was one of, uh, or sounded like my black friends whenever I was with my white friends, and I was on the honor roll for my grades, but I was in the principal's office for my behavior, and like I would talk to everyone, but I'd be friends with no one. And even though that was true in my life, I still had no idea how to talk to girls, and I still don't to this day. But the most consistent question I've asked over my life and during that season of my life is where do I actually fit in? And today I can tell you that even today, I have an enormous amount of trust issues when it comes to building relationships, but I still really struggle to make long-lasting, deep friendships as an adult. And I still struggle with the question of where do I fit in? And maybe you do too. But growing up, I would go to church and I would hear the pastor talk about verses like Galatians 6.2, which says, share each other's burdens. And in this way, you obey the law of Christ. Or I'd hear verses like Acts 2.44 through 46, and it says, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. And you're like, Really? Like, that's crazy. 
And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. And every single day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And you hear that and you're like, that sounds awesome. And growing up, I would hear verses like that and I'd be like, where are those people at? Because it would be really nice to have somebody share my burdens with. Like it'd be really nice if I had even just one person that I had everything in common with. Because I've experienced it for myself and I've experienced it with the next generation that we all ask this question of where do I fit in? And I once heard that uh, one of Jesus's greatest miracles was the fact that he was able to find 12 friends in his 30s. I thought, yeah, that sounds pretty accurate. But once again, I've watched firsthand in my life and secondhand through the lives of students and kids how, if anything, this has just gotten worse that students will do just about anything to fit in. But not only that, with the effects of COVID-19, with the effects of social media and digital connections, like finding real authentic relationships, they're just harder to come by these days. And it seems like every middle school girl that I talk with, like all of them struggle with loneliness. All of them struggle with connecting with the other girls and either they don't know how or they don't have the courage to reach out to some of the other girls. And I'm not bashing on middle school girls. I just wish they knew they were all in the same boat. That each of them was just waiting for the other one to approach them and ask them if they wanted to be friends. But it's not just them. No, it seems like the entire next generation, myself included, struggles with this idea of belonging. And so what do we do? What do we do as a church? I would say that as a church, we have to create the kind of culture where people feel like they can belong, that they need to be able to come here and feel like they can belong even before they believe the same things as we do, even sometimes before they behave the same way as we do. Now listen, I love the culture of this church, and I would tell you this even if I didn't work here, but I love the culture of Trace Church, that I don't have to stand up here and pretend to be somebody I'm not in front of all of you. You don't have to walk through those doors and do the same thing either, that this really is a place where you can stop pretending. But listen, I need your help. I need your help to create that same kind of culture for uh, the next generation that come to this church, for the kids and the students that come here. And so what does that actually look like? What, what do we do? It means that we gotta be okay with a little bit of chaos here at Trace. That it means there's sometimes in our high school ministry where all we're gonna do is play dodgeball that there are gonna be some times where we don't pray before we eat, that it means that kids might be a little loud, that students might be a little crazy, and we're not just okay with it, but we welcome that. And it also means we design the trips and the camps that we go on in a very intentional way that while, yes, we want kids and students to take steps towards Jesus when they go on trips like this, but I would tell you one of our main priorities on trips like snow camp for our third through fifth graders or, or trips like our high school ski trip that's gonna happen at the end of February or our camps over the summer for some of our students, that one of the main priorities in those trips is to help kids make better relationships with other kids and help students find better relationships with other students so that even though they may feel like they don't fit in in any other area of life, they can know they can always belong here at Trace. But listen, this doesn't happen without people like you helping and encouraging your kids to be a part of it. 
This doesn't happen for those of you that don't have kids. If, you, if we can't come together and help our kids and our students understand that we don't just tolerate them here at Trace, but that we genuinely want them here at Trace. That one of the best things we can do as a church for the next generation is create a culture where they feel like they can belong. But listen, even if they know they can belong, uh, even if they know who they are, there's still one question in their life that's kind of looming over their life, and it has to do with purpose. And it's the question, how can I make an impact? How can I make an impact? And while I would tell you the other two questions are largely questions that the next generation struggles with, what I would tell you about this question is that most of the next generation have this question down better than the rest of us. That if I were to describe the next generation to you, I would describe them as the impact generation. Because for a long time, especially in the generations before my own of millennials and Gen X, the question looked more like this. <clears throat> can, can I make an impact? Can I make an impact? But I would tell you with this next generation, that impact is assumed. That is how can I make an impact? That the question lies around the avenues to which that can happen. And I would tell you that, you know, they would gladly trade like less income for more impact, that most of them would take a job that was lower paying if it meant that they could make more of a difference, that this is the impact generation, that their question isn't, can I make an impact, but it's how can that impact be made. And as a kids in student ministry here at Trace, it's been really fun for us to help them find answers to that question, to really help them navigate some of uh, the areas in that question. And it's been fun to watch us or have, watch them respond to various verses in scripture that talk about purpose and talk about impact. Verses like Ephesians 2.10 that we read earlier that uh, we were created to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Or passages like Romans 12 six through eight, where uh, Paul describes all the various spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us and how we can use those effectively to create the body of Christ or even the passage that Jesus uses, the parable of the talents when he's talking to his disciples and he says, look, everybody's been given something. You know, some people have been given time, some people influence, experience, money, different gifts and talents. And he says, look, whatever you've been given, all I'm asking you to do is to use it to not bury it in the ground, but instead to use your gifts and talents to make a difference for the kingdom of God and to watch the kids and students at this church kind of respond to some of those verses. Guys, it's nothing short of inspiring to us. That while, yes, we've had some hard moments working in kids and student ministry, uh, I would tell you that more times than not, we are greatly inspired by the impact the next generation is already making. That we've gotten to see a fourth grader make bracelets and sell them at school to help us fund a new building here at Trace. That we watched as a $250 gift to send a kid to camp resulted in their entire family getting baptized. I've watched as countless kids have brought their friends here, risking their friendship to bring their friend to what might be an uncomfortable environment for them. But I've also watched as kids and students have stepped up to serve this entire church. Because I don't know about you, but I've been led to worship by them. That I've been welcomed into the doors of Trace by them. I've been served coffee by them. I'm being recorded on a camera by one of them right now. That this is the impact generation. That even just this past weekend, I got to watch as four high school boys in our ministry came here on their time off to split wood so that we could have firewood for the rest of our student ministry tonight so that they could have some s'mores. I'm telling you guys, 
This generation is ready to make an impact. But perhaps my favorite story of purpose and impact actually comes from uh, one of the high school boys in our ministry, and I'm gonna embarrass him for a little bit, uh, and his name's Nigel. And what I need you to know about Nigel is that when Nigel first started coming to Trace students, like it was not something that he looked forward to at all. Uh, that several months later, he would tell me, uh, he, he would tell me, you know, I'd go home and I'd try to convince my parents, like, don't send me back to that awful place with those awful people, right? But he, he started to get more connected. He started to get more plugged in. He met some of the leaders. He met some of the students and started to come out of his shell a little bit. But as he was getting more involved, one of our students, they peer pressured him into going to our high school CIY, which is like our high school camp experience over the summer, because that's what we do. We peer pressure kids into doing good things. And so he got peer pressured into that. And sure enough, he said yes. But as that time approached, uh, he, he got pretty nervous. And so he shipped one of his friends from Louisiana to come with us. And I'm telling you, when Nigel got to camp, like he came alive. Like Nigel was no longer this shy or this reserved kid, but like he was cracking jokes. He was in the middle of all the games and activities. His arms were up in worship. Nigel was having a great time. And I'm pretty confident that God did some pretty amazing things in Nigel's life while we were at camp. But when we came back from camp, uh, he heard a sermon from Pastor Aaron, and I'll never forget this day, I was standing right back there. And after the sermon, he came forward and he grabbed one of these towels. And if you're new at Trace, we do this every single week. That we wanna make sure that everybody has an opportunity to respond to what they've heard, respond to what they've experienced, and maybe find Jesus and, and decide to devote their lives to him through baptism. And so we keep these towels here every week. And so I watched as Nigel came down and he got a towel and then he walked back to his seat where his dad wrapped him up in a big old hug. And I watched as Nigel explain to him, like, I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna get baptized. And a couple weeks later, um, I got to baptize Nigel. And what I would tell you is I'm not, I said this last service and then I started crying, but I'm not an overly emotional guy. But I can tell you in this moment that I was bawling my eyes out. And I just kept whispering in Nigel's ear, I'm so proud of you. Fast forward a couple months later, Nigel's dad got really sick. And if I'm being completely honest with you, there were several days in there where I didn't think Nigel's dad was gonna make it. And I was preparing myself to have some really hard conversations with Nigel about his dad. But by God's grace, uh, Nigel's dad pulled through and he decided to make the same decision as his son, Nigel. And he decided to get baptized. And when I was talking to him about that decision, he talked about, yes, his near-death experience, but he also talked about the fact that he wanted to make the same decision as his son. And so we got to baptize his dad, which was awesome. The story doesn't end there. Fast forward a couple more months. We're at our Christmas party for the high schoolers. I'm wearing an ugly Christmas sweater, some flannel pants, Christmas tree on my head. Don't ask me why. And in walks Nigel with two of his friends from school. And I'd never seen them before. And so I open up the door for them and I give them the stereotypical like youth pastor, like, what's up guys? And if you've never been to Trace students, like it's, it's a lot. And I could tell for his two friends, like it was probably too much uh, because I'm not trying to embarrass them and there's no hard feelings, but I watched them walk out of what they thought was earshot. And one of them whispered to the other um, something like this. And it was like, hey, I think we made a mistake. Uh, I don't think we should be here. And I immediately, like, I just started cracking up laughing because I, I watched as the rest of the night, they got more connected. They got more involved. They got more into what we were doing there. But I couldn't help but just be so impressed, so inspired with Nigel. 
that here was a kid just a year earlier was saying the same things as his friends. But in just a year's time, guys, he went from hating this place to getting connected, to going to camp, to getting baptized, to helping his dad make that same decision, to convincing two of his friends that may never have stepped foot in a church ever again to come and hang out with some weird and crazy people like us. And in that moment, I thought, you know, when I grow up, like I wanna be just like Nigel, that when I look at the wake of impact this young man is making, I can't help but wanna do the same. But guys, I love having Nigel in our student ministry, but to be honest with you, I wanna see that story replicated a thousand times over, that I wanna see that be the norm here at Trace, that I want this to be the kind of place where people like Nigel can come and they can wrestle with their doubts, they can wrestle with those three questions, that I am more convinced now, more passionate now than I was three years ago, that if we can equip the next generation to answer the questions of identity, belonging, and purpose, then I truly believe this, guys, with the core of my being and everything I am, that if we can equip them with the right tools, I really believe this next generation can change the world for the kingdom of God. But that doesn't just happen with me. That doesn't just happen with my wife or the kids team or the student team. That only happens, only happens if we as a church decide that we will give everything we can to invest in the next generation. See, my wife has this phrase she uses whenever she onboards new team members onto the kids team. And many of you have probably heard it. Uh, I think it's pretty brilliant. I'll use it the rest of my life. But it says this right here. In 50 years, you will either be dead or irrelevant. That's pretty sharp. All that you get to leave behind, all that you get to leave behind is what you choose to invest in the next generation. Guys, 50 years. Some of you have a little bit longer. Well, let's be honest, some of you have a little bit shorter. But the fact remains, all we get to leave behind is what we choose to invest in the next generation. And so today to close, I'll just simply ask you and I'll challenge you that I need your help. And so will you help me invest in the next generation? Will you help me create the kind of culture at this church where kids and students can come and wrestle with the doubts they have and wrestle with these three questions without the fear of feeling judged, without the fear of feeling isolated so that we can equip them to make a difference in the world? Because at the end of the day, in 50 years, you're either gonna be dead or irrelevant. That all you get to leave behind is what you choose to invest in the next generation. Will you pray with me? God, I'm grateful for this church. And God, you know I've prayed this prayer several times that I'm happy to be at a church that cares about the next generation, that when I look back on my life, God, it wasn't just my parents. It wasn't just the people that were supposed to invest in me, but God, it was so many different people along the road that decided to sacrifice just a little bit of time and leverage just a little bit of influence to make sure I had what I needed to grow up and to know you well. And God, we just wanna see that happen here at Trace. We just wanna see that continue to happen where we can have a culture here at Trace where kids and students that do not know you yet can walk into this building and instantly feel that something is different here. And so God, today I'm asking you make us look more like Nigel. Help us to make a bigger impact at this church than we are right now. God, we love you, and it's in your name we pray, amen.